Amen. And uh, yeah, you can go ahead and give it up for the Lord. That's awesome. We had a great week at Harvest Kids Camp, and I, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart on behalf of our staff team, our elder team. Just thank you to all that served. Thank you to Anne and my wife who did a great job directing it, and just your sacrifice was incredible. Um, and I did, we're just praying that God will continue to do much fruit. It was, a, it was an exciting week, wasn't it? Full of lots of twists and turns, uh, from tornado warnings to ice cream Sunday parties and everything in between. But the gospel went forth, and we had a lot of fun. And uh, we are just praying that God would move powerfully. And as a pastor, what a privilege it is to see, just to see the words of the Bible, to see the vision that God has given us as a church to come to life. We, we say that our vision and our mission, our mission is to, is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, and our vision is one mission, one church, one family. And we just saw that this week. 40 plus teenagers and adults gave up countless hours this week and even leading up to it to serve. Like, that's amazing, doing everything and anything that needed to be done. Just thank you. Um, and we had fun together as a family, didn't we? It grew, it grew laughed, uh, and, and just at the full gambit of the gospel and from the joys of it to grace, forgiveness, goodness. And God is just moving and stirring as he's building his church. We are committed to discipling young people. We, we believe that people of all ages need the gospel and, um, and growing disciples from every age. And so we're excited to see how God will continue to bear much fruit there. Um, and we're going to continue our series today in, in Hebrews and also today in, in Exodus called Step Out. And, you know, what does it look like to embrace kingdom advancing faith? And, you know, one of the things that we love this week, and I love, I love watching Nate and Rebecca and Christina lead worship, is we worshiped our way through the week. The, uh, the twists and turns, any, anything that got thrown at us, we just worshiped our way through. And I love to worship. I don't know about you. Um, but I love, I love, love to worship. And um, we're going to look at today, honestly, part of the text is one of my favorite worship songs. Did you know that there are actually worship songs in the Bible. Um, and Exodus 15 is one of the first ever written, first worship songs literally ever written, and is one of my favorites of, of all times. You'll see a line from it up here behind me, Exodus 15, uh, 11, when Moses and the people of Israel say this, they say, they're singing this, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you, O Lord? That is the, the question at the heart of the text. That's the question at the heart of our daily life today. Who is like our God? You know what the answer is? No one like our God. He is greater. And I pray that you would, if you walk away with one thing today, that you would see the greatness of our God in, in, in generality, on a big picture level, but also in specificity in every season, in every circumstance, in every situation, in every relationship that you have right now, that every problem, every adversity, every seemingly insurmountable obstacle, guess what? God is greater, amen? And we're gonna see that from the text. That's the heart of this story, and what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? This verse is not just random words written on a page, but it's a heartfelt lyrics of a cry of the people of God who had just experienced the greatness of God, the salvation of God, the deliverance of God. They had gone from we are dead people sitting to God just did a miracle and we want to praise him. And I pray that we would do the same. That when you experience the power, the beauty, the love, the majesty, the grace, the goodness, the mercy, and we could go on and on and on to extol the characteristics of our God, you are not left the same, are you? 
And I pray today that you would see that and you would experience that. Like the people of God that we're gonna see today in Hebrews eleven twenty nine, 29 and Exodus 13 through 15, we're all on a faith journey and we're all at different places on the faith journey. But again, our salvation and our deliverance is not dependent on the quality of our faith, it's on the object of our faith, who is God. So the question is, who is the object of your faith? We're gonna see today people that I'm guessing every single one of us can relate to this morning. People literally stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do and who do you turn to when there is seemingly no way out of your situation? You've exhausted all resources. You can't literally go any further on your own. Adversity is coming behind you. You feel stuck. You literally feel like your life is about to end. What do you do? And maybe some of you, maybe all of us, and parts of us or maybe the totality of us are feeling that exact same way this morning. The Israelites, the people of God then that we're going to meet today, are literally stuck with a seemingly insurmountable object in front of them, the Red Sea. Anybody in here part waters? No, I didn't think so. And a seemingly ins- in front of them, and a seemingly insurmountable adversary behind them, the hard-charging, fast-charging, chariot-riding, Egypt's world superpower, Egyptian army coming to literally kill them, and they know that. They were stuck, and maybe you feel stuck today in the midst of your adversity, in the midst of your difficulty, in, in the face of hostility, with an obstacle in front of you that you don't know how, what to do. There's hope for you today because God is here to deliver you. He's here to save you. He did it before, and he's going to do it again. I, I, I'm going to ask two things of you this morning, and I, I pray that you would be willing to do that. One is, and and I say this frequently, one to be real. Be really real with where your heart's at in the seasons and situations that you're walking through right now. In the relationships you're in, whether it be marriage or family or parenting, work situations, sin situations, be real. And then be open. Be open to whatever God would have you do. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's difficult, because there is freedom here for you today. I promise you, because God is here today, and our God is a God of freedom and not captivity, amen? But the question is, how will you respond to the reality of the greatness of God? Because that will change everything for you. I believe today that God wants to break you free from a life of fear to a life of faith. How will you respond? What will you do? He's gonna, he did it before the text and that we're going to look at today, and he wants to do it again. There's going to be a time of response at the end. I want you to be aware of that, and I want you to be ready for that, and I want you to be praying, and I want you to be available to respond however the Holy Spirit will lead you. Because I, our God is a God of breakthrough, and I believe that no matter how the greatest the difficulty, the adversity, the anxiety, the worry that you're going to experience, we're going to see that in the text, God is what? greater. We're not diminishing those things. They are real. They are heavy. They are significant. They are hard. They hurt. But God is, that doesn't diminish the reality that God is still greater. Amen. 
And worship elevates the greatness of God over the difficulty of man. And when we can't seem to find a way, God will always make a way. Here's a big idea for the text. You'll see it on the screen and in your notes. That grasping God's greatness empowers and emboldens my faithfulness. As we journey through Hebrews 11 and you see these miraculous signs of faith and steps of faith that every single person seems to take, we need to remember the reality that these are a lot of faithless people taking steps of faith. It's not about the people, amen. It's about God. They recognized in the moment that God was greater, that God's grace was greater than their, than their guilt, that God's mercy was greater than their mess, that God's strength is greater than their situation. And when they grasped the greatness of God, they were willing to step out in faith for God because they fully entrusted themselves to God. And then they experienced the glory of God. And that same God is available today too. And I pray that you would allow him to work in you and through you in the way that he wants. No longer being shackled, no longer sitting stagnant for whatever reason, but moving forward in faith, as we're going to see in the text. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for the beauty and the reality of your word. I thank you for the supernatural power of, 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 of your gospel. And God, I, as we come into this text, a very familiar one for many of us, God, I pray that afresh that you would restore our knives. That I pray that you would make us afresh with the greatness of who you are. Give us a greater vision of you, God. It's all about you, Jesus. And I pray that you would silence me and that your words would flow. I pray that you would sustain us over the next several moments that we have together. God, I pray that you would do the heart work that you want in each and every one of us, myself very included. God, to make us more like you, to break us free from the bondage of sin or despair or anxiety or worry or fear that are holding us in captivity and you are the chain breaker, God. You are the way maker, God. You are the deliverer, God. And I just pray that you would do what you do today in us and through us for your glory. It's not about us. It's all about you, Jesus Christ. In your name that we pray. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to continue our series in Hebrews 11. We're going when we're nearing the end, verse by verse through Hebrews 11, and, and tracing the, the growth of God's people, the, the display of God's greatness. In the middle of adversity, we see God's victory. So Hebrews 11:29 is where we're at today. You're going to see it on the screen. We're going to spend the majority of our time, the rest of our time in Exodus, because we want to understand the context for this verse so we can then ap apply it appropriately. We love God's word, and that's what we do here. So the author of Hebrews writes this. In Hebrews eleven twenty nine, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. It's a lot going on here, but one of the most interesting things about this is the second is by faith the who? What's the fourth word? The people. It's a collective. So now it's not an individual step of faith, but it's a collective group step of faith. Now, people are made up of people. <laughs> so the, the group people, the plural people, are made up of individual peoples, right? So they each have to individually make the decision to work and step forward collectively together. But there are a lot of implications and applications for us, both individually today as, as individuals within a church, but also collectively as a church. As God calls Harvest Bible Chapel to step forward in faith collectively, God is calling each of us individually who make up and comprise Harvest Bible Chapel. Because remember, a church is not a building, it's a people. It's not a property, it's people. It's not a facility, it's family 
It's a gathering of called out individuals who God joins together as one family to build his church and live on his mission. That's why we have the vision that we do, because it's not ours, it's God's. And so the question today is, what are the applications for us, both individually, but also collectively? And don't you love when a familiar story comes alive in a fresh way? I know I, this happened to me, and God rocked my world in this text in Exodus. We're going to look at Exodus 13, 17 through 15, 21, the rest of our time together, if you want to turn there with me. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one available for you in the back. We love the Word of God here. It's the story of the parting of the Red Sea. If you've been in any version of Sunday school growing up or kids programming, if you have any familiarity with church or Bible stories in general, I'm guessing you've probably heard some version of this story. But one of the things that really popped off the page to me this week is the emphasis of the text. And we always want to be about the author's original intent so we can apply it appropriately. The, the intent of the author is, is emphasized by what the author emphasizes. And the author is carried along by the Holy Spirit. God is really the ultimate author. What's the, what's, what's the emphasis of the text? It's repeated twice, and then it's demonstrated at the end. It's in 14.4, and then in 14.17 and 18, and we'll read it in a second. There are bookend passages, and God himself says this, I will get glory, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the who? The Lord. What's God's purpose for this story? That the people would know would know personally, would know intimately, would know without a doubt that he is the Lord, that he is greater, right? And that is his heart for you today and for me, that you would leave here knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt the reality that God, that Yahweh, that the I am is the Lord, Sovereign over every one of your situations, not surprised by anything, in control, with you, loving you, upholding you, carrying you, so that he can be glorified in every season and in every situation. And we're going to see when the people finally grasp this, not just the Egyptians, but the Israelites, at the back end of chapter 14, their lives are totally changed and they burst out into worship. We're going to look at the end of the message. My question for you today is, friends, do you know today that Yahweh is your Lord? Not just the Lord, but your Lord. Have you submitted and you're surrendered your life, your seasons, your situations, your circumstances, every single one of them, your marriage, your parenting, your jobs, under his authority? Because he wants to know you, and he will allow circumstances into your life to get you to that point where you actually recognize the reality that he is a Lord, Sometimes the easy way, sometimes the hard way, always the loving way, because he knows what's best for you. God is declaring his greatness in this text. The miracle is always a means to an end. The miracle is always meant to magnify God. The, the miracle is always a means of magnification, exaltation, and declaration of the greatness of God. That's the point of the miracle. So don't get lost in the miracle. Don't miss the big picture the, in the miracle. The wind and the waves, the separation of the water, the dry land, all that's great. But don't shortchange the greatness of God and focus on the miracle. Focus on the miracle worker more than the miracle. That's the heart of God today. So we're going to look at the reality that God is greater. We're going to see three steps 
that God is asking us to take to actually walk in victory. Now, here's a beautiful reality. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Praise God, amen? So we have the victory. The victory has already been won, but man, the battles are raging, right? The war is won, the battles go on. Spiritual warfare is a very, very real thing, right? Many of us, if not all of us, are fighting some spiritual battle today. But the good news is we get to fight from victory. We don't have to fight for it because God has already won it. So what do these steps look like? And the Israelites are literally going to have to take steps. You got to move, guys. You can't stay stagnant. You got to move to walk in the victory that Jesus has already provided for you from this text for your life today. In every battle, no matter how big or how small, there is victory available because Jesus has already won. The first step to walking in God's victory is this. Because the Lord is my leader, I follow him wholeheartedly. Because God is greater, because he's my leader, I'm not the leader, I've given up control, theoretically, right? I will follow him, that's my step, I will follow him wholeheartedly. Because he's the leader, he's the boss, he's Yahweh, he's in charge. By the way, he just freed us from 430 years of slavery last week. Isn't that awesome? So because God has done that, now look, I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. Until I decide not to follow him, because life gets hard, right? How many of you are like, God, my, you have saved me, I'm going to follow you wherever you call me to go. And then life gets really hard, and what God asks you to do is a little bit too much for you. You're like, God, peace out, I'm out, Right? God, I'm going to hesitate because my anxiety, my fear, my worry is now superseding the reality of your greatness. My focus is on my circumstance and not on Christ. God is calling all of us again to renew our minds, to refocus our hearts on the reality of his greatness, that he is the leader, not us. Let's look at the text, starting in verse, chapter 13, verse 17 of Exodus. When Pharaoh let the people go, which is what we looked at last week, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people round by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel, they went out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because uh, uh, Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, uh, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones with you from here. We looked at that several weeks ago. And they moved from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, praise God, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharath, between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, their wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Those last four words, right? They did so. The Israelites followed. They obeyed. Now, who's the leader in this text? It says it very, very clearly, right? Verse 17 and verse 18. God did not lead them the way of the Philistines. That's 17, but 18. But God did lead them around this way. So who's the leader, God or the people? 
You can talk back and say, who's the leader in the text? God or the people? God, right? Who's the leader in your life right now? It's easy to say hard to do, right? Is he genuinely leading? I can promise you this. He is. The better question, more important one is, are you following? Are you following wherever he's leading? Because there are some principles in this text about how God often leads us that man make it hard for us. They're encouraging. They're challenging. And for me this week, they were extraordinarily convicting. And maybe that's just me, but maybe possibly for you as well. We have to understand these principles. It's not logical, faith. Faith is supernatural. But look at these principles that, that we need to learn about how God leads. Because maybe they'll help you how he's leading you in your heart as well right now. The first principle is this. The shortest way is not always or ever often God's best way for you and me. Amen. God did not lead them the way of the Philistines, although that was near. Now, logic says, what's the shortest distance between two points? Straight line. God is not always logical as we consider logical. But God is always working supernatural. If you can show the map picture on the screen, you'll see how God led them. He said he did not lead them the way of the Philistines. Now, if you're in Egypt, in the, in the, the Succoth area, and he is the promised land, as we learned last week in Exodus 3, is north east. It's Canaan. The shortest way is that dotted line leading right by the Mediterranean Sea, right to Canaan, right through the land of the Philistines. But God said, guess what, guys? You're not ready for that. Your faith is not strong enough to fight the Philistines right now. So because I know what is best and because I love you, I'm going to lead you the long way. How many of us in our life right now are not embracing the long way that God has for us? But we're fighting because we're insisting we know better. The shortest distance between point A and point B is a straight line, and I'm going through it no matter what God says about it. My goal is to get six figures by the time I'm X, 30. That was my goal when I came out of college. Boy, was I off. But my focus was wrong. And so I began to take, God, do you want me to do this job? Because this job will get me more financial success. And I was doing it my way. And God's like made it very, very clear that, nope, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to go the long way. And it's not even about six figures, trust me. <laughs> because that no longer became a goal in my life very early. And, and contentment has been found very far from that. But where in your life are you looking for a shortcut? And you think you know what's best. You're applying human logic to faith. Faith by definition, right? It's not logical. It's trusting someone and someone you can't see. It's being confident, Hebrews 11.1, 1, and conviction of things that God knows what's best. God had just delivered them and they followed. Second principle that we need to learn is this, is that God teaches us about following him, is that sometimes, sometimes God in, leads us intentionally into the wilderness because he knows that's what's best for us. Verse 18, but God did lead the people round the way of the wilderness. Sometimes the roundabout way through the wilderness is God's best way for us. Now, who wants to sign up for the wilderness journey? The wilderness journey might be fun for a day or two, but after a little bit of dry sand, heat, lack of water, we get a little grumpy, don't we? 
How many of you on your journey of sanctification right now are getting a little grumpy because you don't have your expectations and accoutrements? You don't have the salary you think you should have. You don't have the, the style of car you think you should have, the type of house. You don't have the spouse that you think you should have or the number of kids or kids at all that you think you should have. You, you, you think, God, you need to do this. God, ultimately, you owe me this, right? And that sounds like you're like taking a little bit back, man. Who would ever think that? And, like, and when you actually step back, we all do. Our expectations, we're placing our expectations on God and then getting mad at God for God not making our plan his priority instead of following him. We're trying to play the leader. We're rebelling against God. Where are you doing that in your life? Friends, can I tell you that often God leads us into the wilderness or the roundabout way because God is protecting you from you lovingly. He's burning the sin out of you He's destroying the idols that are around you. Will you follow? Or will you compromise? Will you cut corners on God's word? Because culture says so. Or whatever, or you want to. Third principle in this text is that sometimes God wants us to face our obstacles and our fears head on so that we can experience the overcomer. Look at chapter 14, right? God leads them. He leads them to encamp right by the sea, right by this huge, immovable obstacle. There were not a bridge right then that would cross the Red Sea. There was no Army Corps of Engineers that would come along to build said bridge to cross the Red Sea. Encamp in this place where you will literally have your back against the wall. Because I want you to ultimately experience the deliverer. Guys, we can't experience the miracle of God without the mess. We want to avoid the hard. So much of our focus in life is avoiding the hard and the hurt as opposed to following God. We run from the difficulty. We run from the school of the wilderness where God wants to teach us invaluable lessons of dependency that are necess huge necessities and huge blessings because we are looking so short-term focused on our modern comfort that we miss the grandeur and the beauty of what God wants to do in us and then through us. God wants you to face that obstacle, not so that you can overcome that obstacle, so that you can experience with a front row seat the gift and the beauty of God overcoming that obstacle so that your faith can grow, that your testimony can grow, so that you can know that he is the Lord, amen, and that others around you can as well. It's not about you. But it's so easy to turn our focus on the obstacle and not the overcomer. Where's your focus right now? We're like, oh, God, you saved me from Egypt, but now you have me against this obstacle. Peace out, I'm out. I'm not gonna come to church again. I'm gonna stop reading my Bible. I'm gonna stop tithing. I'm gonna stop going to small group because I got hurt or I got offended or I'm in the face of this obstacle and I'm gonna run far from you, God. And Satan's doing a happy dance. Will you follow wherever God leads? God gives you a glimpse into his own heart. He's like, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. They're going to come after you, but I will going to do that because I'm going to get the glory. And, and again, the four key words at the end of this verse in verse chapter four, 14, four, and they did so. They obeyed. So how do you obey God? 
How do you follow the leader? We love that game as kids, right? Follow the leader. We stink at it as adults because we are all battling for control. We idolize control. We serve control. And by the way, control is a figment of our imagination, isn't it? But we are worshiping control more than we're worshiping Christ. Where are you doing that in your life right now? So how do, we, how do we follow the Lord even when it's hard, even when he puts us in front of an obstacle, even, even, even when it's a long way? We trust the heart of God. Remember the Israelites had just been broken out of slavery by God. Trust that that's the same character of God will apply today. Where do you need to focus on the heart of God? We rest and we desire and we pursue the presence of God. The tail end of chapter 13 is so huge. God never left them. He was always leading them by, by pillar of cloud, by day, by fire and light, by night. There is no amount of darkness that whatever the obstacle is that you're facing that can drive out the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. Will you rest in the presence of God? How do I make decisions in my life? Honestly, it's by the presence of God, primarily. It's by the peace of God. If God says, I'm going with you, and his calling is to go through the wilderness to Timbuktu, I'm okay with that. It will be hard. I will want and complain a couple times along the way, but we're going. But if I don't have a peace, no matter how beautiful or how ornate the thing is, we shouldn't follow a lot. We need to follow the direction of God. You're like, how do I know where God's leading me? Like, it, would be, it wouldn't be cool if I had a pillar of smoke before me and a pillar of fire by night to guide me, like my GPS system on the way home. Well, guess what you do? It's called God's word. Look to God's word. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How do I know the light of God? How do I know where to follow where God wants me to go? Go to his word. Are you going to God's word with every direction and decision in your life? Are you submitting your heart when you like it and when you don't to the authority of God's word? God's word is greater than your word. God's word is greater than your parents' word. God's word is greater than your spouse's word. God's word is greater than what you even think. God's word is greater than culture. Amen? Are you elevating the authority of God's word in your heart and life today? Is everything you're doing, are you checking to see if it's in alignment? And then you're like, well, there's not a scripture and verse for everything. How do I know this? I don't understand this. What do I do? Well, don't just look to God's word, but be led and listen to God's Holy, to God, the Holy Spirit. I love the, the demonstration of fire here. Did you know that when, when the Holy Spirit came to fill the first disciples in Pentecost, you know, what, you know what the signal was? Fire. Jesus says it's better that I leave that the Holy Spirit comes because the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into all truth. He is your leader. He is with you. If you are in Christ, the Holy, God, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Are you listening? Or are you just plowing ahead, excusing, rationalizing, defending your actions and silencing and quenching the Holy Spirit? Or are you submitting your heart and life going, God, the Holy Spirit, you are greater than me. I want to follow you and help me to listen. Where do you need to do that? The Holy Spirit speaking. Are you listening? The people of God obeyed as they followed. Are you obeying as you follow? Even when their life wasn't great, God was still greater. Grasping God's greatness empowers and emboldens my faithfulness. The second step to walking daily in God's victory today is because the Lord fights for me, I trust him steadfastly. Look with me at, at verses 5, 14, 5 through 14, 14. 
When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that you have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, took his army, took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and then they encamped by the sea in front of, by Pythirath in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only need to be silent. Man, what beauty, what power, what reality. Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, the greatest fighting force in the world, throw all their chips in and they go after the Egyptians, the Israelites. The Israelites are 600,000 men, strong plus women and children, well to reason and rationalize that it is well over a million people moving. Those people don't move fast, quick, or leave without a trace, right? So they quickly catch up to them. And remember where the people of Israel encamped and they're facing the Red Sea and they chase them down. And what happens? The Israelites look up and they are overwhelmed with anxiety. They're overcome with worry. And they cry out and they begin to complain. They begin to whine. Can I tell you this? If I'm the Israelites, I would feel that exact same way. Amen. And maybe you are feeling that exact same way. Maybe something this week happened. Maybe something this past month happened. You're like, I'm facing an obstacle, but this thing from my past is coming back to me. This pain, this hurt, this offense, this adversary at work is coming at me again. I thought I was past it. I thought we were done with this. It's charging it, and I feel stuck, and I don't know what to do. I feel like I am a dead person, walking, sitting, standing, whatever you're doing. That's what the Israelites said. And their brain immediately goes to, why did we ever leave? They actually wanted to go back to the bondage of slavery, right? Because the pain and the bondage of what they did know and were familiar with was that moment greater than the trusting the unknown future with the God that they did know. Is that where you find yourself today? God, I, I experienced this great victory from you a year ago, a day ago, a week ago, but man, these people are coming back at me and I'm just done. I just want to go back. I want to go back to that bad relationship that I got out of recently. I know I shouldn't go back, but it's just more comfortable there because I don't know what your future is for me. God, I want to go back to that job. I want to go back to that boss. I want to go back and I just want to allow the pain and the, sh- and the suffering and the shame and the guilt to overwhelm me because I just feel like I'm going to die here and I see no way out. Where is their focus right here? Their focus was on the adversary, right? Their focus was on the opponent. The focus was on the people, the past that was charging at them. 
Where is your focus now? Fear can make us do and think some crazy things, right? Like, it would be better to go back into bondage. Let's go die in Egypt, because I think we're just going to die right here. Friends, that the God did not lead you to a place that he will not provide for you in. You might not be able to see it, but he's working. Irrational complaints are often the fruit of irreverent hearts. Let me say that again. Irrational complaints. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Like, why did you save us? Like, what? We told you so. Just leave us in Egypt to get whipped and beaten and abused. Because it's better than being out here with an unknown future. My anxiety is overwhelming. That's irrational. It's also real. It's a fuel of an irreverent heart. That's not meant to be a slam, but irreverence means that you are not giving God the reverence that he is due, right? You have now decreased God under your circumstance. And Pharaoh is now greater in your mind than God. Right? So by definition, that's irreverent. But we need to rechange the dynamic and refocus on the reality of God's greatness in our lives. And that is what Moses does. He says, guys, fear not. Stand firm. You will experience the salvation of the Lord. Because why? Remember the God that broke you out of Egypt last week? He is the same God who is still fighting for you. The God that turned the blood of the the Nile into blood, the God that rained plagues on Egypt that Egypt could not stand. That same God still dominates that same Egypt and he will provide a way for you. You just need to be silent and still. What a promise, amen? It's a fighter verse. And this silence and this stillness is not passive, it is proactive. You need to change your heart posture. How do you do that? Through worship. Worship is a weapon. Worship through your worry, through prayer. John Piper says that prayer is our, spirit time, our, our spiritual wartime walkie-talkie. So what are some victory prayers that we can pray to change the focus of our hearts, to experience and to walk in this victory that God desperately has designed for you and desperately wants for you today? and is right here, right now, available. And I want you to know something about prayer. God is our Father, and we are kids, amen? So we can go messy. We can go broken. We can go hurting. Don't you parents want your kids to come to you when they're hurting, when they're confused, when they don't know what to do? Even when they've screwed up or had a great success, you still want them to come to you, right? There will never be a time that you don't want them to come to you. There will never be a time, no matter how much you have messed up, screwed up, or they have, that you will stop loving them, will it? You want them to come. You want them to be real. You want them to be open. And that same Heavenly Father wants that same thing for us. And these prayers, these aren't formal, bow my hand, pray my feet. These are cries of desperation in the middle of battle, saying, God, I'm about to die. God, help. God, I need you. God's just like, bring it. Cry out. Don't silently, okay, God. But the passion of your heart, the desires of your heart, cry out. So here they are. Lord, free me. Breath prayers, free me, God. Free me from my fear of the Egyptians. Free me from fear of man. Free me from the fear of my boss. Free me from the sin that is so easily entangling me right now. And there's probably a repentance in there for you. Free me, God. 
You are my deliverer. I don't know how. I don't deserve it, but I know you promise it. Free me. Don't you see God's grace right here? Man, if I was God and I had just saved these Israelites and they were whining like this to me, I might be tempted to be like, you know what? Have fun with the Egyptians. Do you know what? You want to go back to Egypt? Okay, have fun. You think you know better than me? Okay, have fun. Praise God he doesn't always give us what we want, right? Right here in this, they wanted in that moment to go back. They wanted to reenter slavery. God loves you too much to not always give you what you want. Praise God. Second prayer, Lord, help me. Like, save me. You will not experience freedom until you admit your own dependency, your own insufficiency, that you can't save yourself. You've tried all the human things. You've tried to work harder, do more, get better. God, I am done with me. Help me. Release the situation of God, release it so he can take the responsibility for it that you were never meant to carry. Never. With your parenting, with your friends. It's so hard. Help me, help them. I can't change them, God, but you can help. Help. Get off the emotional merry ground where you're just spending a lot of energy, been going in circles and getting sick and dizzy, but never leaving the same place. Help, God. You are the way maker, not me. But I need to move forward to do that. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, I can't. I can't endure anymore. It's okay. You're not meant to endure in your own strength, right? God will lift you up. God will carry you. God will come to you. Stand firm, Moses says, and you will experience the salvation of the Lord. Where do you need God to strengthen you right now to equip you to endure physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? Help me to change God and grow. God, focus me. That's the next Lord. Focus me. Take the power back from that object. Take it back from that adversary that you have given it away to, that you are letting have dominion and power over you. Jesus Christ has said, I have paid that for you. I have bought you. I love you. I am upholding you. That chains of bondage, Paul writes in Romans, are shackled or broken away from you. You don't have to stay there, guys. Take the power back and give it to where it belongs, to Jesus Christ. Rechange your focus. Reset your mind. Focus on the eternal reality of God's sovereignty. Because when you do that, you take the power away. You know what I mean by that? How does Paul pray in Philippians when he's in jail? Lord, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what? I bet you those that threw him in jail didn't really appreciate that because they're like, you're not afraid to die. You're not afraid to live. We can't do anything to you. We're sort of helpless, right? They're powerless now because Paul's like, God, I'm trusting your greatness that if you think it's better for your glory that I live, you're going to let me live. If you think it's better for your glory that I die, I get to go be with you. Awesome. Win-win. If you stand for the Lord and you get fired, God will provide for you. If you walk away from an unhealthy relationship, a non-God-honoring relationship, God will provide for you. He will provide for you. I promise. It might not be in the way that you expect or want, but he will provide. He will sustain. He will carry. Focus on that reality. Fifth prayer, Lord, use me. We were in the DR and Cindy Baker's like, we should get a shirt that says, I feel used. <laughs> Maybe. 
Okay, there's a posture of submission that happens here. Remember, submission and surrender. When God is greater, we submit and surrender. At the end of the day, what is, what is God saying? I want the Egyptians to know. I want the Egyptians to know that I am the Lord. So if God needs to lead you through the wilderness and put you in a really difficult position so that your neighbors might know that he is the Lord through the testimony about you, is that okay with you? If the answer to your prayer to reach your long lost love and with the gospel is you going through suffering and hardship and honoring and worshiping God through it, is that worth it to you? Because God will often use that to glorify himself, but so often we are resistant to that because we are prioritizing the God of comfort, whether we say it or not. God, use me. When you give up control of expectations and culture and you just say, God, use me how you would. I'm no longer attached to whatever salary is in my bank account. I'm no longer attached to a geographical location. I'm no longer attached to this desire on my five-year plan. God, I just want to go where you want me to go. I trust you. He uses you. The battle turned when the people started to pray. We're all in different battles now, same pathway to victory. Will you pray and follow God wholeheartedly? Will you follow him steadfastly? I love what David the psalmist writes when he goes into battle, and I pray that you would take this, that you would memorize it. When you're getting ready to go into a hard week at work, a hard meeting, a difficult relationship meeting, pray this, read this verse, meditate on it, memorize it. Now I know, Psalm 26 through eight, that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven, that God is greater, he's sitting sovereign. With the saving might of his right hand, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of who? The Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand. And in this moment, the Egyptians with their chariots and their horses came down. And the people of Israel looked up and said, God help. In the midst of their questioning, God help. In the midst of their complaining, God help. Will you do the same this week? Because he will meet you, he will sustain you, he will strengthen you. Grasping God's greatness and powers and emboldens my faithfulness, the third and final step today to walk in the victory that Jesus has already purchased for you faithfully is this. Because the Lord is my salvation, I step forward faithfully. I step forward faithfully. Verse 15, chapter 14, the Lord said to Moses, why did you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to underline this in your Bible. To what? Go where? Forward. You're like, there's an obstacle in front of me. How can I move forward? The command is what? Go forward. Before the Red Sea was parted, the command is go forward. Go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Wow. Here's the reality, though. If you want to experience faith victory... You need to move forward. I don't know where in your faith journey you are sitting stagnantly right now. I don't know where you've been so overcome with anxiety and worry that you are retreating fearfully. The difference between fear and faith is this. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is looking to God as greater in the middle of your fear. We all face fears. The big difference is focus, is shifting your focus. God is asking all of us today to take a step forward. That's literally the entire name of our series. Step out, step forward. Not step back, step 
forward. That means something different to each and every one of us here, but you know what that means for you because the Holy Spirit is working inside you right now. At the end of the service, in a few moments, we're going to have people that are going to be positioned to pray with you. They're going to be people that are scattered all throughout this. This is a family. And there's some breakthrough that God wants to do in you today, but you need to take the risk and entrust the God who is greater to move forward, to get out of your seat, to go to the Lord. You don't do it alone. We're a family. We do it together. And whether you go to one of the people in the corners or whether you find someone else in this room and just go, I haven't shared this with anybody yet, or I've been wrestling with this, or I've been thinking about this, but it's time to move forward. I'm scared. I'm hesitant. I don't know what to do. God is asking you to move forward today. Maybe it's a big step. Maybe it's a baby step, but it is a step. Maybe your forward is to surrender, to stop trying to control it and go, I'm just going to give this to you in prayer right now. Maybe there's a physical action step of obedience, membership, baptism, Put your faith in the Lord. Finally, stop talking about it. Start doing it because God has already done it. Maybe it's tithing. Maybe it's sharing a testimony at work, being a faithful witness. Maybe it's taking an action with your spouse or your kids. I don't know what it is. But God wants you to move forward through that obstacle, through the obstacle that seems insurmountable. He's going to make a way because you know what? You read the rest of the story. He did it. Moses stretched out his staff. The Red Sea parted. The Israelites walked through on dry ground, which is amazing, right? It's not even soggy ground, it's dry ground. <laughs> through the walls of water, they get to the other side. The Egyptians charging after them. The wall, Moses, God collapses the water around him. Every single one of them dies. And when you skip ahead to the back of the chapter 14, it says this. The Israelites went in after them. Verse 28, chapter 14, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh and the Egyptians had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and to their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel. Praise God, amen. The great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So Israel saw that the Lord was greater, right? They saw the great power of the Lord, the greatest fighting force in all of the land, the one that had dominated them for four centuries, could not hold a candle to our God, neither can your boss. Neither can that person that is riding you and disparaging you. Neither can your financial struggle. It cannot hold a candle to our God. The great guilt and the pain from your past, the shame that you are carrying, that feels like an insurmountable obstacle. God's mercy is greater than your mess. His grace is greater than your guilt. And he is parting the Red Sea for you today and asking you, beloved son and daughter, come. Come hurting, come broken. Just come. Come and experience the greatness of my God. Because remember, our salvation is not contingent on the quality of a faith, but on the object of our faith. Tim Keller has been super helpful for me in this with this explanation. He goes, with over a million people, not everybody, every Israelite that crossed through the Red Sea to salvation was at the same place of faith, right? Some were probably running through. Others were probably like, are you sure that those waters are gonna help? They're doing logical calculations. They're like, this doesn't make sense. Intellectually, it doesn't make sense. But there other people are like, God, I'm still mad, but I'm coming anyway, right? Some were probably limping, crawling. Some were probably being carried. They probably couldn't walk themselves. They maybe had an arm around a brother or a sister and they were walking through. But everyone, no matter the quality of their faith, chose to move forward in faith. And the God who is greater than them all, whose grace covers us all, saved them all because he loves them all. And they chose to pay their faith in Jesus Christ. 
God saves us by his grace, not by our actions, but we must respond with faith, amen? It's a personal choice. What's your choice today? Where have you been hesitating that God's gonna ask you to move right now? Because here's the beautiful reality. I want you to just close your eyes with me if you would. I wanna read the reality of the greatness of our God through one of the first worship songs ever written from the people of God, the people that had just been questioning, just been complaining, just been wondering, and maybe that's you today. They've been wrestling with the reality of their circumstance. They had seen, their, they tried to judge Christ, judge God through the lens of their circumstance, but then they changed their focus and saw their circumstance through the lens of God. And will you do that today? I want you to think about that thing that the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart right now, that obstacle or that seems insurmountable, that enemy that, that seems like it's gonna come and be immovable and track you down. And I want you to hear the reality of the greatness of our God. Then we're gonna pray and we're gonna worship. And as we pray, as I pray and we begin to worship, we're gonna have people in the four corners. We're gonna have the Websters over here. Don's one of our elders that are willing to pray with anyone. My wife, Anne's gonna be in this corner. Stephanie, Nate's wife is gonna be in the back by the connections table. Ted, one of our elders, is gonna be in the back by the coffee. I encourage you and challenge you to take a step of faith, the thing that you've been holding on to. Because look into the greatness of our God. It's not about denying our anxiety. It's elevating God over our anxiety, knowing that the same God that called you to it will see you through it. Then the Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying this, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. And every time you hear a horse and rider, substitute your obstacle or your adversary in it. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them and they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a pile, the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue you, I will overtake you, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. And maybe you feel that pressure right now, but look at our God. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonder? You stretch out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led your, with your, in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. They, the, now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan melt, melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. Praise God. You will bring them in and plant them on your mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Jesus, praise you. Praise you that you reign. In every circumstance that seems unmovable. In every adversary that 
we face that seems insurmountable right now, with every past pain that feels unovercomable, God. You reign over it, God. You have purchased it. You have redeemed it. You have a purpose for it. You are with us in it and you will lead us through it. Greater you, Lord, mighty in valor. Greater you, God, who fights for us, who saves us, who redeems us, who glorifies himself, who makes himself present and known, God. Help us to trust you right now to follow you wholeheartedly because you are our leader, no longer just saying it, but actually doing it. Help us to trust you steadfastly, God. And God, help us to step forward faithfully. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for making a way when there seemed to be no way. In your mighty name we pray, amen.